Firecast, a podcast from MDM Publishing, brought to you in association with Asia-Pacific Fire magazine, focusing on disaster management, fire protection and the fire service. Welcome to this latest Firecast, where we discuss some of the big issues with experts in the fire industry. Hello, I'm Paul Hutton, and today it's my pleasure to talk to Chris Lindsay, who's National Account Manager, working across Canada, Mexico and Australia for FTS, the global leader in fire weather networks. He's got 20 years experience in the use, management and maintenance of bushfire monitoring networks. So today we're going to discuss what is a fire weather network and the importance of having one in high risk areas. Definitely a vital issue, especially as we head into another Australian summer. Now remember that in the US, damages from major fires accounts for 95% of the total cost of all fires every year. So this solution is essential and it needs to be good. So we're going to talk about how these differ from traditional meteorological networks and how they benefit bushfire and wildfire operations and how other agencies can benefit from the network data. So Chris, thank you ever so much for your time today on the Firecast. Um, Let's start at the very beginning. Tell me, what is a fire weather network? Hi, Paul. Thanks for uh, inviting me along to join you for this. A fire weather network is basically a network of weather stations that are used to generate fire index codes. In Canada, we create something called the Canadian Fire Danger Index Rating System. In Australia, we push weather data from the weather stations to be able to calculate the MacArthur Fire Index Rating System. And in the United States, we generate outputs called the National Fire Danger Rating System. The outputs from a fire weather network will allow wildfire and bushfire responders to understand the potential risk of a fire occurring. And if it does occur, it will allow them to understand how hot that fire is going to to burn and potentially the direction that it's going to run in. How different is it in the way you gather it from networks deployed by our national meteorological services? Well, the biggest difference between a bushfire network or a a fire weather network is where the stations are physically located. Most of our national meteorological operations are basically designing weather stations to protect our population centers and our large assets. You'll typically find their weather stations are located near our urban centers or near our ports or near our airports. Uh, A fire weather network, on the other hand, is really designed to understand the potential risk and volatility of the areas where the fires are going to burn. So they're out in our forests. They're out where our our fiber and our timber is. They're not necessarily located directly on a urban area, but more an urban interface area where the potential of the fire is not just going to burn up our timber, but run down into an urban area. So let me get to grips with this. How does the network benefit the operations? You've got a fire weather network. How would somebody who's worried about or managing bushfire and wildfire operations use the fire weather network? Well, basically what a fire weather network allows us to do is it allows us to understand where the risk of a fire potential is greatest It will allow us to understand if a fire does break out, how hot is it going to burn and what direction is it going to run. And what it allows us to do is it allows us really to pre-deploy our resources to be able to attack that fire with an appropriate force at an appropriate time 
before it does damage to an urban center. The other thing that a fire network allows us to understand is when is the risk or the potential volatility in your area going to be greater than the resources that you have to fight that potential fire? When do you need to put your hand up and ask for help? Or when do you have excess resources that you could potentially release to a neighbor or to another state or to another country to assist them with the problems that they've got? It really allows us to, number one, pre-deploy our resources to be able to manage the risk that we have. Number two, allows us to understand when do we need to put our hands up and ask for help from other agencies. And number three, when do we understand that we have excess resources that we can release outside of our area because the risk profile is low enough? I guess this is really important because actually what you're saying, Chris, is that the kit that you've got is going to save a load of money because you're not going to have to have your operatives sitting around waiting on standby because you're going to be getting them into the right place at the right time. That is absolutely correct. And it also comes down to a matter of when do your crews become a revenue resource that you can release to another area or when are you going to have to put your hand up and really ask for help from your partner agencies and your other uh, organizations worldwide to be able to manage the the problems that you have in front of you? Truly, wildfire and bushfire is becoming an internationally resourced series of organizations. We have Canadians fighting fire in Australia. We have Australians fighting fire in Canada. Canada and the United States have been creating resources for many, many years. We've seen North American fire crews going to South America. We've seen uh, South African and Australian crews coming into Canada. It's, it's really become a much broader industry than our own home province or our own home state or our own home territory. So what's involved with managing the fire weather network over time then, Chris? Well, basically, the, the first thing that you've got to manage is where do you deploy your sites? And what you look at is where have your greatest fire occurrences occurred in the last 20 to 25 years? And those are the areas that we start monitoring first. Um, You then begin developing a network over time based on your expanding population base. You look at where your wildland urban interface is. You look at where your assets in the the backcountry are. Where are your rail lines, your hydro lines? And you start deploying your network based along where the potential risk and the, and the potential volatility is greatest. Once the network's in place, the actual electronics, the data logger, the telemetry systems, they really don't change much over time. We're, we're looking at you know, 15 to 20 year time frame that most of the hardware will be in the field. But much like running a motor vehicle, the sensors that we're using to gather data and feed the fire index code systems need to be maintained. So certain sensors are maintained once per year, others are once every two years, and others are once every three years. What we've done as a supplier to the industry is we've set up a series of factory exchange service programs where basically we do all of the calibration and maintenance on the sensors directly at our offices in Victoria, BC, We deploy them out to a series of caches worldwide and the clients basically swap out the sensors that they have on their sites with freshly calibrated sensors at the calibration interval that is required. 
we've really tried to build the system so that with a, a bushfire team or with a wildfire operation, you don't need to have real technical expertise for managing the electronics. It's really a matter of just swapping out the components to make sure that you have calibrated sensors on the sites. This is fantastic stuff. Now, Chris, uh, while I was preparing uh, for our chat today, I was flicking through old copies of Asia Pacific Fire, and I found uh, an article by your colleague, uh, Alan DeClantis, who wrote uh, January last year, January 2019, about the importance of a dedicated fire network. And there was one paragraph that really hit home to me. So if you don't mind, I'll read it because I've got a question off the back of it, which is he wrote, a wildfire moves at speeds of up to 14 miles an hour, that's 23 kilometers an hour, consuming everything, trees, brush, homes, even humans in its path. Modern fire agencies use fire weather data to make decisions about how many people to send to a fire, where to send them, and how quickly they must arrive, should the focus be on ground operations or aerial support. Operations are constantly adapting to fire weather information, Imminent rainfall might make fire suppression activities unnecessary. An expected change in the wind direction may inform a shift towards protection of a nearby town. Windy conditions may make it too dangerous for a helicopter. By understanding the weather's effect on a fire's behaviour, decision makers can make the most effective use of available resources while prioritising the safety of their firefighters. But what hit me when I read that was... How do you get the data from the FTS provided fire weather network to the folks who've got to make use of the information that you've got? Well, that's sort of the secret sauce in all of this. Uh, one of the things that our organization has been very, very good in doing is developing a number of different types of telemetry systems that allow you to move data from where the weather station sits to a network that then can deposit that information among the various parties. In North America, we rely very, very heavily on something called the GOES satellite network, which is operated by the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration. And basically, we relay the information from the ground-based weather stations by a satellite uplink. We bring those systems directly into a, a, a web server that we work with called FTS360. FTS 360 then generates the fire codes and provides access to the various agencies, the fire behavior analysts, and the folks that can actually make use of that information. In Australia, we do not have access to the GOES satellite network, so the systems that we're working with in Australia are a combination of Iridium satellite uplink and a combination of uh, land-based cellular systems. Again, the data is brought into the FTS360 web portal. FTS360 then creates what is called a METAR message. The METAR message is delivered directly to the Bureau of Meteorology within seconds of the time that the, the message is received. The Bureau of Meteorology in Australia then runs the MacArthur Fire Index codes against the data and disseminates that information to the fire behavior analysts and the severe weather forecasters in Australia. The other thing that's very nice about the way that FTS 360 works is not only is it delivering the METAR message directly to the bomb to feed their systems in the language that they need, it is also providing a secure web portal for each of the state-based fire operations organizations. The fire behavior analysts can dial directly into the FTS 360 website. They can see the data as it's coming in. 
And depending on who the operation is, at different times we're delivering them a CSV package or we're giving them a direct API data feed to the data so that they can pull it directly on, into their own internal systems. Terrific stuff. You've just given away a chunk of your secret sauce. I don't like to, uh, uh, to point that out to you, Chris. But um, <laughs> the other thing is that obviously station location has to be critical. This has come through everything that you've said here. So I understand that as well as having the fixed site weather stations, you've also got portable or quick deploy stations as well. What are the differences in use and application? When would you use one and when would you use another? A fixed site weather station is what feeds our fire index code calculators. We want the same station in the same place for a long period of time. We want to be able to watch how the weather patterns are changing. We want to watch how the fuel moisture levels are changing over time. Quick deploy weather station is used for actually managing a fire once it's on the ground. Now, the big difference between a fixed site station and a portable station, the fixed site stations collect wind speed and wind direction data at 10 meters. What we're trying to understand is we're trying to understand the long-term effect of weather on the fuels that are native to the area. A quick deploy station is only designed really to be taken to a fire that we've either decided to put on the ground or that has broken out in an area. And what we're trying to understand is we're trying to understand the wind speed and the wind direction that are actually feeding the flame front on that fire. So on a quick deploy station, you'll find that the wind speed and wind direction sensors are at two and a half meters, whereas in a fixed site station, the wind speed and wind direction sensors are at 10 meters. And I guess this is vital in fighting fires to have the ability to put those quick deploy weather stations in because even those very small changes in the weather can have really big consequences. Massive differences in the weather in terms of humidity will determine whether a fire is going to stand up and take off and run. Low humidities mean more higher volatility in the fires. High humidity means that the fire will sit down on the ground and will allow us to attack it with a slightly different series of methodologies than what we would with a crowning fire. Um, the advantage with weather stations, whether they are fixed or portable, is it will allow us to understand the potential volatility of a fire and it will allow us to manage our response to that fire based on the changing weather conditions as they occur. So once the network's installed, what other applications are there for all the data that you're getting that it's providing? Actually, I, I've got to be honest, that's probably one of the most fascinating parts of my job. Um, we started developing a fire weather monitoring network for Parks Canada in all of their parks across Canada. Um, a couple of years into developing this network, we started getting a lot of inquiries from wildlife habitat restoration folks. And what they were doing was they were using the data off of the fire weather monitoring network to determine when they could plant or to determine when they were able to go in and do some kind of a restoration program based on the prevailing weather patterns. When I look at the networks that we built in Atlantic Canada, they drive all of their spraying operations for spruce budworm and other types of invasive species that are affecting their timber. They drive their programs directly off of the outputs from our weather stations. And in another application, uh, the fire weather monitoring network that's being used across Canada 
is being used to generate hydrological monitoring in terms of how much rainfall is falling, where is it falling, how much snow is on the ground, when is it going to melt, what does it mean in terms of runoff, what does it mean in terms of hydrological monitoring. So basically, once you have these weather stations out on the landscape, the number of uses and application for the data is basically limitless. Anybody that is trying to work in a remote location, in a bushfire-prone location, or that is trying to run some type of a habitat restoration program, will be able to make use of the data off of these sites. So our standard fire weather parameters are all based off of wind speed, wind direction, temperature, humidity, and rainfall. We're now seeing the stations adding soil moisture, soil temperature. We're seeing smoke sensors being added to them so we can understand how much particulate matter is in an area around a site. We are starting to see a lot of snow type operations. We're also seeing a lot of hydrological applications that are drawing data off of these fire weather networks and applying them to their programs. This is great stuff. I want to bring in Neil Bibby, who's editor of Asia Pacific Fire Magazine, who's in Sydney, Australia. Neil, this is just fascinating stuff. What are your thoughts on it? I think it's been um, fascinating listening to Chris. Some of the stuff that they're doing resonates with my previous life as Chief Executive Officer of the Country Fire Authority. And as Chief Executive of a major fire service, the number of things that I have to look at the priority becomes firefighter and public safety. And one of the beauties of these systems is they're remote automatic weather stations. And the word automatic becomes very important because you don't have to have people around when the fire is coming towards them. The system is there and stays there monitoring the entire time. The systems allow for my people to look at tactical and strategic events as to what the plan is going to be for the future. The forest fire index, if you look at the McCarthy system, the main parts of the system are topography, fuel load and weather. Topography is about 20%, fuel load is about 20%, and weather takes up the other 60% of the McCarthy system. And it is the one part of the McCarthy system which varies rapidly. You don't have mountains moving every couple of days. You don't have the forest changing overnight. But what you do have, you have the weather being your critical change. And if the monitoring and improvement of that change helps us determine what the forest fire index is for the next couple of days, that means we get a better run on our strategic and tactical planning. So I think the importance of this is not inviting the fire, but making sure that those people that are affected by the fire, firefighters and the community, are well covered. And I mentioned that you're in Australia and that we're coming into the Australian summer as we're recording this. Already, the fires are hitting some of the bush, aren't they? Western Australia, Northern Territory and Queensland are now having major fires. There's a satellite tracking system if you want to have a look at sentinel hotspots. And it will show you where the fires are in Australia. And the top of Australia is just covered in red at the moment. And so obviously the solution that Chris has been talking about is just vital in being able to 
try as much as possible to stay uh, if not one step ahead at least uh, you know in step with with how the fires are working well i think what the, the word that i used before variable is a very interesting word because it is the key to weather and the impact that's going to have on the firefighters on the ground weather changes that firefighters get trapped and i think it's very important that a very up-to-date weather forecasting comes through. Terrific stuff, Neil. Thank you very much for joining us. It's Neil Bebby, editor of Asia Pacific Fire. I'm just going to ask Chris one more question because I've taken up loads of your time already, but I always like to round off podcasts by looking to the future. So what I want to ask is what other technologies are developing to support operational awareness when managing wildfire bushfire operations? There are all kinds of new sensor sensor technologies that are evolving that are allowing us to get better refinement of the data from the weather stations that we have deployed. It doesn't necessarily require a complete swap out of the equipment that's deployed on the landscape. It's merely unplugging one sensor and putting a new sensitive sensor in place. We're seeing a lot of work right now with camera systems being developed that can be deployed in remote locations that will be able to feed data back through the FTS 360 web platform uh, to be able to give people a better operational sense of what is going on in the area around them and to be able to put eyes on a potentially high-risk location without necessarily having to deploy bodies to that high-risk location. We're seeing massive advancements in terms of how we move data around how we supply it to our severe fire forecasters or our fire behavior analysts. We're seeing a lot of adaptation using internet protocol technology to be able to move information faster and to be able to get valuable pieces of content into people's hands in a shorter period of time. It's truly an interesting time to be involved in this industry because as more satellite networks are launched, the speed at which we are able to provide information to the frontline forces and the, and the quality of information that they are able to get is far greater than it ever has been in the past. Chris, when we talked about doing a firecast on fire and weather, your name came up as the expert to talk to and you've just proved over the last 25 minutes or so why your name came up. Chris Lindsay is the National Account Manager who works across Canada, Mexico and Australia for FTS, the global leader in fire weather networks. Chris, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us on this Firecast. Paul, thank you very much for the time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Great to talk to you. And uh, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking to you on another Firecast really soon. Firecast is produced and presented by Paul Hutton and is an MDM publishing podcast in association with Asia Pacific Fire magazine.